Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Return Me A Game. And here to bring you a festive football feast, we have got Deck, Greg and Matt. We've got the full Fab Four back. How are we doing, gents? Three wise men, I thought you were going to oh, say. Oh, missed out on that there, Jim. Who's, Who's who? We'll Which one do you want to be? I'll be gold. Why not? I'll be frankincense. No, you're de- you're definitely Murmur because you're just meh. Snooze you lose, mate. Like the gift of death. So does that make me the baby Jesus? Thanks, I am the baby um, Jesus. And Jim, you're obviously the baby Jesus. You're the baby I am the Jesus king of the, the king of the world. Or a donkey. Christ. Donkey. Donkey. I think, more... I think, Jimmy, you're more of a Herod. Me, I'm a Herod. Herod hunting down babies. I feel like we've started early on the Greg needs to edit this very, very quickly. I might just keep it in. Cheers, lads. Cheers, lads. I'll be said worse. Of course. I've said definitely. Yeah, no point. So, yeah. I'm really good. Yeah, I'm all right. Excellent, excellent. Many stars to follow in the football recently. Such as stars to follow. Nice. Yeah, there's many stars to follow, indeed, absolutely. Well, Everton are certainly stable. We are stable. On the pitch, we're stable. What a a 10 days it's been to put Evertonian. Off the pitch. Off the pitch, we're still on a donkey because we can't afford You know, yeah. I I can't say Rochdale is stable, but. (laughs) And Mary is a blue, we can confirm. (laughs) This is very reasonable connections we're making here, I'll be honest. <laughs> we should have got the drinks this, in. This, this <laughs> this is my half hour, we've gone for this for another two and a half minutes, but here we are. Yeah, the, the, uh, the podcast activity is pretty shit, isn't it? Right, so let's move on from that horrendous start. Um, if you're still listening, I used to say this at the end, but if you're still listening, congratulations. What? About three minutes in. Well done. So, um, yeah, it won't have escaped attention that Everton, well, since our last recording, Everton have actually had points deducted and then gone on to win back all those points. Um, Matt, I'll start with you because, like me, you're the fellow Evertonian of the pod. What have you made of the whole thing from being deducted points to winning back 12 points to not conceding a goal, part of the United game, but we'll ignore that because that was just a worldie that killed that game off. What have you made of the last month for being a blue? It's just been ridiculous, isn't it? The whole thing's bonkers because I, I i'll be honest i've missed the last few pods just for varying reasons so yeah the fact that we had the 10 point deduction which still isn't for definite because we're appealing it so it could all change probably like march april next year i just i thought it was there was a mad feeling when it was when it happened because i don't know about you feel free to just to sort of agree or disagree there was a point of like oh shit we've been through the 10 points but i still kind of thought we'd be okay because we were playing pretty well, the stats were kind of in our favour. Yeah, results weren't particularly amazing, but they were kind of okay. And then in true Everton fashion, just don't piss us off with the most bitter, twisted fan group in the world you can get on the wrong side of. And we'll make it our absolute aim 
to piss you off back, which has basically been us at every given opportunity trying to tell everyone the Premier League is corrupt. And then hilariously winning four games in a row without considering a goal to get rid of that 10-point deduction. Um, I'm playing some really good football at the same time as well. So it's it, it's strange. I don't know. I can't... It's our best... It's not our best run of games since like 2002 or something stupid, I want to say about the other Yeah, day. the early months. So four games. Two, three, Pete Resin Skeera. Well, we won six games. I think one, it was. Something like that. It was something stupid, yeah. Which is, which is bonkers. Um, but full credit to Sean Dyche. I mean, I... There's been a lot of people sort of, you know, start the season or the last season saying, oh, you know, I'm not sure he's the right man for a job. And I thought... He's kind of exactly who you want in the situation. The guy who tells it as it is, doesn't try and play fancy, just essentially is the polar opposite of Frat Lampard. Um, and has got a team for the first time in a long time that I actually like. I not necessarily like the way they play football. I like them as a group of players because it's obvious that they're all in it together. There's some good characters. They've probably got rid of a few bad eggs, potentially. Um, and now you've got players that are coming in for example, the Burnley game on Saturday, people like Ben Godfrey, Michael Keane, who are who have been out of the squad or when they played have been not particularly brilliant. They're now given the chance because of injuries or suspensions and that kind of stuff. And Michael Keane turned into prime R9 somewhat. And then Ben Godfrey had a really game a, a great game even at centre back on Saturday. So you've got that group of players now all fighting for each other and he's this kind of that attitude at the whole club of like, now we'll get through this. And regardless of what happens with the appeal, if, if it stays, you know, if the points get taken off, if it gets reduced to five, whatever, we should be fine. And we'll what, be nine points clear at bottom three, which is stupid, for lack of a better word. That's the only way I can describe it. Yeah, it's. I'm just annoyed. I don't know, it's like, oh, how can you be annoyed you've won four games for a Valken Seeding? But I can't help but look at the table and look and go, what, we should be 10th, 9th, whoever it is at the moment? I look at the table and I had ten points on. European tour. I, I I genuinely I had ten points on. Now, and I know. Look, at the, full disclosure. I think you guys are aware of this, but the day we got all well, the the day we got the points deduction, I couldn't tell you what time of day it was because I'd not long come out of surgery, so I was in hospital, recovering. Checked my phone, not in the best condition, shall I say? Um, and next thing. I realised we deducted 10 points of immediate effect. And to be quite frank, for about 48 hours, I didn't care because I couldn't feel any sort of emotion about it. I was just so... You know what it's like you come out of surgery, you just don't know what the hell's going on at the time. Um, it was only when I really let it sink in and I thought... And I want to be careful what I say because I think... Not for any reason that I think anyone from the Premier League should listen to us, but I don't think... I want to play the whole wearing a suit because we're not. I'm going to start off by saying the club know they've done wrong. And we all, no Everton fan that's argued the whole corruption argument has ever said that we are innocent. We are not. The problem comes when there's been no sporting sanction for it. There, no sporting advantage to the whole situation. Yes, we've overspent over the limit over a three-year period by 19.5 million, which, you know, we could have made back on literally Richarlison if we'd have sold him a bit more than, you know, than we did. Or if we're able to sell other players who we couldn't sell, shall we say? I, I, there's been no sporting advantage to this, and also if you're going to punish teams for points for just going outside the lines, you're going to award points to teams that have stayed with it. So, for example, I'm going to say, for example, at Brentford, they're a well-run club. They absolutely appear to be a well-run club, really. If their fans have been well within their budget over the three-year Premier League state, are we going to add them ten points? It's, it's. I know it's exactly. It sounds stupid. 
But by all means, slap the transfer ban, make us sell players because to, to balance the books, sure. I don't see how we've cheated on the pitch, though. I, if we've cheated on the pitch, if we've been caught match fixing or fan violence getting games abandoned, which you know all can go on along the continent, you've seen it with Greece and Turkey lately, then sure, yeah, did up those points. But we've fallen foul because of stadium costs. It's got nothing to do with the team on the pitch. And okay, yeah, it's been shit recruitment for the last, what, seven, eight years. I just think it is. And I, and I would say this to any club, and I've said this on the podcast before, I don't agree in points deductions. I think it makes a mockery of the league table. It makes a mockery of any sort of table. I know other people have different opinions, and I understand that, and I respect that. It's always my opinion. But the way in which we've bounced back from that, and I will say we were on good form before the deduction, we haven't just been galvanised by this adversity. I think it's certainly played a part, but I'm really impressed. I must say, obviously, I'm the most pessimistic. I was thinking a 2-0 up against Burnley. We were still going to lose on Saturday night, and we looked in the end comfortable against a side that I think in Burnley are potentially dangerous, and they've not been the best this season. But we've had some bloody good wins against, you know, OK, Chelsea aren't the best this season, Newcastle have been up and down in form. They're still good sides. When Chelsea can go out and spend a billion quid, that's the biggest joke. Chelsea can go out and spend a billion quid in three years, or two and a half years, whatever it is, pull out a team that loses 2-0 to us after we've inducted points of financial irregularities. The whole league is just made a mockery of. Um, and I would say the same if it was any other club on that one. So for me, it's I'm enjoying each game, but it's hard to enjoy the league table when you just know we should be top 10. We shouldn't even be looking below us at, with the greatest respect, Luton, uh, Burnley and Sheffield United, which we still are, understandably. We should be looking at top eight as a way forward. And that's what, yeah, that that just sits with me. That's, and that, I that's, think that's my point yeah. is going to be as well. Is that there will be elements of, we wouldn't be talking about how when the high point's clear of the relegation zone it would be. But you never know. There's, there's a chance of Europe here. Unlikely chance, I appreciate, but we'd be in that conversation because look at the teams around us. We'd be above Chelsea. We'd be above uh, Fulham. I want to say is it West Ham. We'd be slightly below. I think judging on the table. Same points as Brighton um, with a slightly worse goal difference. Now Brighton are sorry to interrupt. Yeah, that's right. Brighton are the absolute. Them and Brentford no, no, are no. seen as the models of how to, and understandably they're both brilliant football clubs. Brighton and Brentford. They've done so well to come from third, fourth tier up to the Premier League and be stable. They are both the model of how to run a football club, and this is nothing against Brighton or Brentford. I know we have Brighton fans that will listen, and I have Brentford fans that listen. Nothing against those clubs, they're amazing. But we've been the absolute book on how to run a fucking clown show in the Premier League in the last decade. And yet, because of Dice, because of his recruitment, because of who he's brought in, and also he's been able to get rid of, um, queuing a, a Wobie goal tonight, let's be honest. But because of that, we're now on level points, in theory, with Brighton, who are understandably, an unbelievable model to run a football club. Brighton have had a great season in Europe. And yet, we're on the same... We should be on the same point. I can't think of many teams that could break... Yeah, I can't think of many teams that would break profits, sustainability rules, and become worse. That is quite impressive. Only Everson could do that. Only we could break all the rules and be a worse team because of it. Such as the the Everson life. Considerably worse. I think it's, it's frustrating... Yeah, not yeah, so not just worse, two relegation battles worse. 
it wasn't like we were thirteenth and you know, oh, you know, in Europe anymore. These were, you know, last but was it second game? Just second game of the se- second game, second to last game of the season, even under Palace and last game of the season under Bournemouth. These aren't like uh, we were fine in you know, end of April. These were these were pushing it pretty close. Um, but it just goes to show when you get a group of players together, and I'm not saying it's going to last. You know, we could fall away to a certain extent. You know, results can change as quickly as as, as they can. Um, but we just look a more settled side this season. We've done. It was obvious at the start we had a few bad results. Was it uh, Wolves, Luton at home, Fulham, another team. We lost to at home. But the stats were all in our favour. I don't know stats only tell half the story. But it was obvious that if they got them scoring, if they did get us, you know, they put the ball back in the net, there was some quality in that side. And as soon as they started doing that, these results have come. Dwight McNeil's been, you know, one of our best players this season. Calvert-Lewin does all, all the hard work, all the thankful work. Decore is, a, you know, a bit of a machine. He's scored four goals. I think this season that he had in his entire three seasons before, something stupid like that. Um, but yeah, we just keep going. I like I, th- I think now once they're clear of, I think you know, if that's any Evertonian this season, if we just got us to a thirteenth and a quiet season, we'd have all been your hand off. You know, get ourselves to the next uh, to the new stadium, which is now what twenty twenty five, twenty six is going to be, isn't it? Stadium 2020, 2025. Um, the end of the 24th, 25. season, we moved to Wilson. So yeah. That's when I'm moving. So, got one more full season. So, get yourself to that new stadium uh, and then build from there. New owners in potentially. Um, and this obviously the 10 point deduction through Spanner is of the works, but they've responded perfectly to it. And I, I don't worry about us. I, I still think we'll be, yeah, depending on what happens with the deduction, we'll still be in and around that relegation fight. But we're, st- we're not going to get dragged into it. I don't think the way we were the past couple of seasons, it should be always loitering above it, fairly safe. Mainly because there's three fairly poor teams in the league, if I'm honest. Um, don't know, we've lost one of them. Um, and we'll get on to one of the other ones in a second. But I think we should be okay. Touch wood. Yeah, um, I was listening to one of the Everton podcasts today, actually. Is it the Blue Room? I don't know if any of you listened to that one. It was quite interesting. And I think they did one just after after the game at the weekend. And it was like really raw emotions. And they were you could hear, I think you were in the pub fairly close or what have you. But they ran about. Um, I think I think they were around about how they were impressed with uh, Michael Keane. I think a few of them were talking about so how impressive he's been, and different things like that. Um, and then they were on about similar to yourselves in terms of how long it's been that they've really enjoyed an Everton squad, like they enjoy watching them consistently week in week out. Well, for now anyway. Um, and I thought I thought that was quite interesting. And obviously, you've got the cup game tonight against Fulham, which is not kicked off yet, has it? I don't, I don't think it has anyway, unless uh, unless I'm a bit behind on my app. But yeah, and then they run about. What, how did ah no no, no, no. Minutes in. and they run about the we're staying up and we could win a cup, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. But I, I couldn't tell if they were um, getting carried away or not. But you could tell a few of them had had a few pints, but it was quite interesting how positive they all were. Because sometimes, previous to uh, past month or so, I, I, I've been listening to Everton podcasts and it's not been, it's all been a bit, well, we, we do an Everton spin on things, don't we? And it's, it's, some of it has been doom and gloom and like, oh God, where do we go from here and things like that. But it was really refreshing to listen to an episode where they, were, they could see light at the end of the tunnel with, with, with consistently um, getting clean, four clean sheets. I think they mentioned four clean sheets. Not just you know, not just nil nils. It's four wins, obviously, um, and then they run about. 
I think you've got Tottenham and Man City coming up. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. It was like a, a, a different side to an Everton podcast that I that, that isn't us that I've been listening to. I thought, crikey, this is refreshing. So I listened, I listened to quite a few this afternoon. But um, it's just refreshing to hear. And it's, it's um, you know, I'd, I'd obviously I'd, I'd, I quite like Everton and it was it's good to see that it's not just two results and it's not just three. And, you know, it, it's you, you could be building something on this, really, on these four results. Um, and if, if you get, you know, if, if you can win tonight, you know, and it's, you know, you're doing all right, really. But um, I don't know what your thoughts are, Deck, on all of this. Yeah, um, I was out on um, Saturday over in Liverpool with a few of my mates who were all uh, blue noses and obviously we were watching the match and stuff. And I think the general consensus of it is, well, obviously, you know, on a very good run of form and so on. And I was kind of throwing a spanner in the works in terms of being... I think it's it's sometimes easier to maybe pass comment on things like this when it doesn't involve your club. And I think we've all been there different times and whatnot. Obviously, like Dale's relegation last year, and I was obviously saying, you know, it won't be the end of the club and whatever. But when, obviously, Rovers went down, it was the worst thing that ever happened. Um, and, you know, likewise, with like the demotion with us during COVID and then people supporting other teams couldn't really see from our perspective. So I think when you're kind of in it, you're kind of in that little bubble, aren't you, of kind of raw emotion and... And that real kind of like care and nature for your club, and, and rightly so. I think from a um, an external perspective, obviously the, the the level of being kind of unfair on it really is is the main issue. I don't think any Everton fan will argue in terms of against the point deduction because it's there in black and white in terms of what's happened, whether it's on or off the pitch, <clears throat> um, in terms of finances and so on. But the issue obviously then is what other clubs have got away with, if that makes sense. So I think, as you have said there, if City are fined, if Chelsea are fined, etc., in proportion to what Everton have been fined for the you know the very small amount of money that they actually are in debt, you know, when compared to other clubs, I don't think anyone would have kind of like an argument really with it. But it's the fact that Everton are being used as this kind of like warning almost to other clubs, yet other clubs are already in that situation or have already gotten away with it, if that makes sense. Um, But at the same time, looking at it externally again, the fact that they've already made those points up and then some is probably the biggest up yours that they can give to the Premier League in terms of, is that the worst that you can throw at us? Because actually we've already sorted that. And yet, you know, ultimately it might cost them a, you know, a dreamy top seven finish or whatever that they maybe weren't expecting at the start of the season. Um, but I think to be able to, you know, if they stay up and those 10 points don't really matter in inverted commas, because of course they do matter to the fans, but if they can manage to stay up and do what they were, you know, looking to achieve at the start of the season without those, as opposed to, let's say the points deduction goes down to five points or something after an appeal, and then they manage to stay up by three points or something, then everyone will always have that thing, oh, well, it was only because... You know, so if if Everton can do it on their own, their own back and off their own merit, which I think, well, there's no reason why they shouldn't. As you say, there's much poorer sides in the Prem, and I know we're going to come on to Notts uh, Forest and stuff in a minute. Um, but I think that that's key in terms of that. You know, they've already won those points back in a way. Um, I think it is. It's just that kind of issue of it not being fair, really, and that that kind of blanketed approach. Because as it's been well publicised, City should be in the conference. 
Chelsea shouldn't be operating. I mean, we spoke about the Chelsea situation, didn't we, a few, um, it was last year or something at some point, and we just said, they, they, I think it was actually me that said they just shouldn't be allowed to, to operate. Um, but there you go. I mean, on that Chelsea so, point yeah, as well, the, the Premier League, I think this week, brought in new rulings this week, last week, that limits the length on contracts, isn't it? Is it five, six years? I want yeah, to the amortisation rules now is down to five years. You can only sign a player on a five-year contract, meaning you can only um, chunk up their transfer fee over spread, five years spread the cost over rather than years. over eight years. You're spending 19 million on Mudrick over eight years, so it's basically breaking down your costs into about 10, 11 million a year, so it's a way of getting round. Exactly, which is an interesting thing. Yeah. I mean, I know... Yeah, which I know it's only from... This January window, I think, onwards or next season, don't know it's from. But that's going to be intriguing to see how that affects the likes of Chelsea. I mean, they're already talking about going out as part of me and spending big, big money in January on strikers and that kind of thing. Um, and whether that really affects them going forward is going to be interesting. And I, I agree with Dex's point. I think if, again, if you know Everson fan can deny the fact that you know the overspend wasn't there. We all know it was. It was just a punishment just a punishment fit the crime. And ultimately it doesn't at the moment. That's how we feel. And I I do think it'll it'll be reduced or be suspended or something will happen with it. Um so everyone kind of saves face at the Premier League and say, well we this is what we did. Now it's like a warning to, you know, this is what we're gonna do to most teams if you do it over it. Um and I'd be quite intrigued to see if we come back and record there's another one of these in March, April next year, whenever it is, to see what the full outcome is. And you never know if it goes our way. European tour, boys. So, somebody ran about that. Just, just want to point out with, with yeah. Christ with Europe. I'm not sure. I mean, it's I want to point out. By the way, I'm not sure. I want Europe. I mean, I would love to be in Europe. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> we are not ready to be in Europe. That's like I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's like yeah, we it's, are. It's like when Wigan got into Europe or when it, they, it, they won the FA Cup. In fairness, like but you know when Wigan got well, in there, again, it was like really. The, yeah. the, but you know, yeah, not ready again, for Europe. I'm not yeah. suggesting that. You know, go on there, uh, Greg. Even uh, again, what, what Dex saying in terms of that would be a big up yours, wouldn't it? In terms of climbing up the Premier League ladder, you've had a ten point de- whatever it is deduction, and then getting that far through, or or even just anything in terms of um, say if you. I'm not hypothetically you win the Carling Cup or the Carabao Cup, or you get into Europe. Mm. Just that, your 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 fan base would be something else on a different level in terms of they'd be so like like you were saying before, oh, like yeah. um, the, the the almost redemption story, almost of this is what we this is what we're doing, and my word, it writes itself sometimes. Oh, but um, yeah. yeah. How do you think you've, you if you we came you, to you with, uh, We'd be hiring a bus out with corrupt banners on it, go around the city centre. Oh, no, no, go the wrong way, like everything. Uh, what go the wrong the wrong way, like Mike Bassett? Do you think? Right, Mike Bassett, end up halfway <laughs> towards uh, Heighton. Yeah, the wrong way. Oh, yeah. yeah, probably no one else. <laughs> Be going down the Mersey Tunnel, getting stuck. How do you think yeah. you'll get on with Tottenham in um, four four two? Is that this sa- is that this Saturday Tottenham? This Saturday is yeah, that, that's going to be um, a time of recording. Mm. But the, the weird thing is, I got I'm going to bring this up. We got. Tottenham on Saturday, then we've got City on Wednesday, twenty seventh, yeah. isn't it? It's the Wednesday night. I kind of not bothered because they're both now kind of free hits. Yeah. Because the games that I don't expect us to win and would not have expected us to win before the season, you know, or even this in this run of form. I like to say anything we get out of it is a bonus. Going to Spurs 
you kind of don't know what Spurs you're going to get at the moment because you either get the one that everything turns up and they all click and it's a, a great team to watch, or they do what they did against Villa and West Ham and etc. and capitulate a bit. And then City again, they'll come back off the Club World Cup. You don't know quite. They think they won this evening. I think to get to the final. I want to say. But they haven't exactly lit the, lit last, the season. Last They've time I saw, they were three 0 up against the Royal Red Diamonds. I think that game's finished now. I'll just double check on the score. Mm. I think, I think. Well, I'm guessing they've won. Yeah. Um, but they've done a lot of travelling over, over the Christmas period. Whether they're going to be in, you know, the best form, the, the league form's been iffy at best. Um, you know, Goodison under the nights, under lights, even you never know. There's strange things happen. But I, even if we get nothing out of it, it doesn't drag us back into that relegation battle straight away because they're two results you wouldn't expect to be getting much from anyway. Um, and I kind of have enough faith in Dice to set them up to at least be difficult to beat, not necessarily go there and, you know, win the game 3-0. But Spurs, in particular way, kind of fits into our game plan of playing on the counter, but you never know. If they play such a high line, Spurs, and they're so interesting to watch. If you can get it right and pick them off, yeah, anything could happen. It's like I was saying in the chat. Yeah, City won about three the, against Aurora. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I was saying the other week about the. Um, I wasn't expecting Everton to beat Chelsea, and you said, didn't you, Matt? You were saying you sort of did, didn't you? Really? They're, 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 That's I don't know what I don't know what Chelsea are at the minute. Like the um, bobbins. They the, are the, the win, lose, draw, win, win. Bobbins. Win, mess is what yeah. Chelsea are. You've just said bobbins, bobbins on the You've been living in Manchester too long, calling things bobbins. bobbins. <laughs> bobbins is a great like term. I mean, Chelsea are pretty bobbins. Let's be honest. Yeah. Oh yeah. So um, we've covered a little bit about Everton. We can we can jump back to Everton shortly, but the. Um, one of the main headlines before we started recording was the Nottingham Forest manager um, getting sacked. And what, what what's your take on that, Jim? The Nottingham Forest manager there getting sacked? It's a shame. It's a shame because I like Cooper. I like the job he's done at Forest. He took him from the bottom of the Championship up to the Premier League in the same season. And he's done a solid job, but it was coming. It wasn't, the results weren't getting any better. And when you've got Evangelos Marinakis in charge of your club, which for anyone who knows anything about Olympiakos in Greek football, he seems to have like go through four managers a season with Olympiakos, where he owns there. Honestly, it's a surprise he lasts as long as he did, but it's, it's tough. It is tough. Um, but it was coming. I think Forrest have got a good, a good squad. It's very thrown together group of players, but there is a good squad you can get out of it somewhere. My concern for them is if they don't get much better, with the amount of money they've spent on transfers the last few years since coming up, they might end up in a situation like we've been in. Um, financially, where all of a sudden they find themselves having to sell off assets and it's a bit, they're a bit hamstrung. I, It's one of those decisions where it's kind of, you, you feel sad that it's happened and obviously the fans... Don't blame Cooper. They were singing his name away at Fulham and they lost 5-0. Cooper very humbly was, you know, you would be humble after losing 5-0 to Fulham in a midweek game, but very humbly was saying that shouldn't be for me. It shouldn't be, you know, like they shouldn't be singing my name. But they knew, everyone knew he was on his way out with Marinakis' history of sacking managers and the fact that Cooper's record was 
he'd, he'd had a lot of goodwill in that club of what he'd done. And we'll always remember for getting them back into the Premier League. You know, first top flight season for 23 years when he took them up. And kept them up, of course. Quite, in the end, relatively comfortably given people's pre-season predictions for them last season. I think it's a massive shame. Um, but were they going to get on the, any better under him? Something just clearly wasn't working. I, I like him as a manager. I think they've got good players. I don't know what it is that the players weren't responding to, but sometimes if I were managers after a while, they have a shelf life for the club, and it's that shelf life seems to be getting, as we know, shorter and shorter. And players in the end just stop responding to the manager's ideas and tactics and and just their way of doing things. And, and it's sad, but it happens. Um, Cooper will be paid off handsomely, I don't doubt. He'll probably get another job within the Premier League or high-end championship in no time at all, as he should. Because I think he's a really good manager. He's, he's got a lot more to give to the game. And I'm sure Forrest will get somebody in, I imagine, like Julian Lopetegui, who I think I heard today he still, he still lives in Wolverhampton. He never actually sold his house there, apparently. So he'd be a front-runner for me. Nuno um, Santo, the other I've seen linked. Yeah, Nuno Santo linked as well. One, one, two of the ex-World bosses, you know, could both be very good shouts to be the next Forest manager. Um, and it's probably, I don't think it's that far to travel from Wolverhampton to Nottingham. I'm not entirely sure in the middle of the geography. Um, Ian Dawes. Ian Dawes Ian is Dawes a free agent as well, Jimmy. We'll in the nicest way. Mix. Lovely bloke will be lucky to get a job. Dawesy. Managing KFC at the moment. Um, Mickey Mellon, is that there as well? Harsh, but nice guy. Yeah, um, my concern as well, obviously, selfishly, is now Forest going to get really good under a new manager because I was quite liking the fact we'd overtaken them again. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we, but we'll see. I mean, that's that's the thing that could happen with Burnley if Burnley was to get rid of company. It could happen with I don't think Luton to get rid of. Um, I've forgotten the manager's name now, unfortunately. That's really Rob Edwards. Um, but Rob Edwards. It, it it happens. You're at the bottom end of the Premier League, and to be perfectly fair, when was it Sheffield United sacked Hackenbottom not long ago? He was the first Premier League manager to go, and it was like, really? November, you know, like November, December. It seems like an awfully, like, weirdly a long time within a season for a first manager to get sacked at the Premier League. I'm not sure what the stats are on that. But I think we're going to see quite a few changes in the next few weeks and months. What's that, sorry? Last season was loads by this point, wasn't it? Yeah, I suppose though. Yeah. Normally, if you, if you, I mean, if you want to include Lopetegui as being the first manager to go in the season because he left before the season started, I don't quite know how it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, f- I feel like I've missed someone big that's gone really early on in the season, but I'm sure Hackenbottom was the first to go in the Premier League this season as a manager. But no, I think it's really sad for Cooper. Um, he'll re- go on. Yeah, and, and you know now's the stage of the season, isn't it? That they want to get Schulte. Sorry, now's the stage they want to get Schulte managers. Obviously, in prep for the January transfer window as well. Like teams are going to start to move, aren't they? And, and make make their kind of agenda known very quickly. So it wouldn't surprise me if there isn't, as you say, another you know one or two at either end of the table, really, because there's teams underachieving further up as well. Um, whereby that you know there may be a change and someone else coming in to come and spend the, the transfer kitty. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens over the literally within the next sort of week to two weeks really because um, as we say teams are going to have to start to do things quite quickly. Yeah, to me it felt harsh. I'll be honest, with Cooper. I thought he would have had enough credit in the bank. I suppose is a good way you can put it. To you know, like I said, as Jimmy said, from taking them from the bottom of the Championship all the way to the Premier League and then staying up last season. Um, but at the same time, the results 
speak for themselves, they haven't been playing particularly well. I watched them against Spurs on Friday, was it last Friday? And they weren't... Spurs are a good side, don't get me wrong, but Spurs didn't really have to get out of second gear. Um, and you could see it wasn't quite... You, you had the fans on Cooper's side trying to whirl them up, but you'd see the players weren't really responding to it. And it's obvious for a few weeks that the writing's sort of been there and ready to go. Um, as to who they bring in, yeah, the names you mentioned, Santos, an interesting one because he's not had a particularly amazing time in recent years um, after leaving Wolves. But who knows? It, it could, you know, it could be anyone in this in this league. Um, quite intrigued to see what happens with it, especially all the players that have gone in to try and get them clicking. There's a good little, there's a good little side there, but they have to stay in the Premier League to make that financially really work. Definitely. Just to bring you up on Nuno Espirito Santo, you said he hadn't had a good time since leaving Wolves. Cool. He won the Saudi Pro League with Al-Etihad, mate. Dis- you... So yeah, the better times. Really, he, he, won the Saudi, yeah. he won the league title in Saudi, mate. He's, he's had a great time of it. He's been top, top, top draw. Um, but yeah. He's made, made some money, bless him. Oh, uh, he doesn't need the Forest job. He's made so much cash. Managing Benzema and Kante. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Greg, what do you reckon of Cooper out at Forest then? <clears throat> I thought he was a bit harsh. I was I was with Matt there. He seemed like a, a genuine fellow, didn't he, fella? But um it's it's the it's a cliche, but football's it's a it's a it's a results business, isn't it? And it's doesn't matter if you're a nice guy, sometimes you do get the sack, don't you? Um I wasn't too I wasn't too sure on their actual form. I know they're um Obviously not doing great, but I didn't know it week by week or anything like that. I'm just going to have a quick look. Uh, let's have a quick... There we go. Oh, well, yeah, it's not looking great, actually. There's a lot of red there. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's not looking great, is it? But um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I thought you had a bit of... Because um, they're not actually in the bottom three, which is which is, is something, isn't it? you got Luton, Burnley, Sheffield United. Luton are nine points, Burnley on eight. Sheffield United and eight, Nottingham Forest on fourteen. So it's not like I mean it, it could be better, but it's not the complete end of the world, you know. It's, it's and you know we're not even in January. You know he could have maybe they didn't want to give him January. Do you know what I mean? In terms of they didn't want to back him, and as you say, is this an ideal time to sack a manager? It could be. I mean, if the results aren't going your way as well, do you get that fresh start in terms of you get a new name in and you get you know the players that he wants to be working with in January? There's, there's different, there's different um, scenarios, isn't there? There really, but I, I, I thought you were all right, really. But um, Dex just holding up a screen grab. What, what? Are you, are you in the uh, couple of quick? Interesting. Uh, Newcastle have just on one off. Bobbins, Absolutely. Bobbins, Bobbins, Chelsea. So yeah, I thought, I thought you were. I think we found the title Bobbins. of the podcast. Just Bobbins. Chelsea and Bobbins. Just Bobbins. Christmas Bobbins, just maybe. Bobbins, I don't know. Yeah. Christmas not Robbins. Robbins. <laughs> Christmas Bobbins um, are open fire or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I tell you what, we'll we'll um, we'll, we'll get a little bit of Tramere on the go, Declan. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Tramere? How they're getting on? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, he doesn't. No. How long asked. have you draw? No, no. Uh, yeah, no. Um, things are slowly looking up, aren't they? Um, I think 
Yeah, we have. Um, obviously, the results at the weekend away at Walsall wasn't maybe what we were wanting. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, in terms of the teams that we've picked points up against in recent weeks, um, it's not the end of the world. I think that would have been received um, in a much poorer sense by the fans had we have not got you know the other kind of wins and draws in, in recent weeks. So, <clears throat> yeah, form and obviously just that level of consistency in terms of performance are definitely on the up. Are there areas that we need to strengthen in? Absolutely. Um, I think our main issue is, despite the fact that we're storing goals and probably storing goals more consistently now than we have done for the best part of two and a bit seasons, the goals aren't coming from strikers, really. We're still lacking massively um, with a centre-forward. I think Christian Dennis, who's coming from Carlisle, $20 a season striker generally throughout his career, I think it's just one season too many for him, to be honest. I think he's he gave everything to that Carlisle up, and I just don't think he's he's got it in his legs. Mentally, he's still learning. He's still trying to do the right things, but yeah, and he's a, he's a lovely guy. His effort and stuff is there, and he's you know he's a genuine player. But I don't think he's what we maybe thought we were buying or bringing in. And to be fair to him, I think he's probably fallen below his own kind of standards and expectations. So it'll be interesting to see come January. I think we we traditionally have a very strong transfer window um, come January. And I I kept saying to some of, some of the lads there a few weeks ago, just as the, the form was starting to change, the playoffs are still not unattainable. Like, the, you know, they're not a million miles away, certainly at this stage of the season where, you know, you're only coming up to halfway if that. There's a lot of football still to be played. And I think if they can strengthen up top, if they can get a, a decent striker in um, and just tighten up a little bit more at the back, I, there's there's every chance that... Apologies, that's my phone. Very unprofessional. Um, there's every chance that, that, you know, that they could go on and, and do something with the season. Um, obviously, we've got to be realistic. But I think Atkins coming in and signing such a big deal um, has stabilised kind of the fan base a little bit in terms of they know the, the long-term um, views of the club, if that makes sense. And I think it's just a case now of just seeing kind of how far we can go with the squad that we've got and obviously trying to trying to strengthen in coming weeks. But yeah, things are much more positive than they were the last time. Um, that League 2 is a tough, tough won a game. division this year. Do you want me to say? It's we have, we've won so, games. It's much tougher than last year. When you yeah, saw it, it's a, bit of a weird league. I mean, it's always a weird league. It's League Two. It's by its I very mean, it's nature, the fourth division. League. It's going to be fucking weird. Yeah. But when like Leighton Orient and Steve Evans as cat got promoted last season, and okay, Stevenage were a very solid team. Leighton Orient were good without being amazing. You look at the top end this year. Stockport, despite a few dodgy patches of form, went on that mad winning run. A run forty six points in twenty two games. I mean, that's. The league too, when teams are much for muchness largely, in terms of anyone can beat anyone. To be on that at this stage is pretty good. You know, I, I was listening to Knock Top Twenty today, um, and they said weirdly the um, the last four winners of a national league are uh, in the top three or bottom of the table. As in, you got Stockport, Barrow, Wrexham, and Sutton. So it's it's just it's just mental. Um, but the strength around the top end of the table, even not County, but some bad form in sixth. But you know, you got Wimbledon in seventh, who have been that um, Al of the Iraqi international Ali Al Hamadi, I think his name is. I can't remember his name. Is I know. He's just been on fire this season. Every time he seems to switch on some of the goals, highlights he always seems to score. Um, but there's there's such a cluster of teams like Mickey Mellon's lads ripping up at Morecambe, they just outside the playoffs. 
Gillingham are hot and cold, but they've got a budget that you know they can play around with in January. Bradford are always good for a, a big result, but somehow we're also in 14th, and Harrogate are constantly outperforming their XG. No one has a bloody clue what's going on there. Salford, for some reason, are 20th. Um, and yeah, like I say, it is a case of, I think, if anyone can put a, a, a good run on the back end of the season, it's going to be tough from 21st place to suddenly go on this mad run. But we spoke about Steve Cooper, you know, taking Forrest from the bottom of the championship promotion. Well, you know, the Adkins diet might just work with Tramia to get them into the playoffs themselves at the end of the season. That's awful. I mean, the sale of mangoes in the local supermarkets is through the roof, Jimmy. I mean, as you say, you're looking at it and, you know, you know, the, the table doesn't lie in terms of us being in 21st place. But we've opened up six points now on the bottom two. Obviously, we, you know, we have played two games more than Forest Green, but that's, you know, relying on them. I think one of their games in hand is against Wrexham as well. So you would suspect that they're not going to get maximum points. And we're 11 points off the playoff. So it is that that league is very, very tight at this stage. Everyone is kind of sitting in and around that 27, 28 point mark, really, um, all the way up to, to the edge of the playoff. So it's, yeah, I'm not, I'm not kind of, you know, on a hope and a prayer thinking, right, let's, you know, book that Maybank holiday and, and get our train tickets down to Wembley just yet. But there's certainly been um, more bizarre things happened in that league. But as you say, I mean, Stockport, I think, are just, the. I mean, their, their spending is obviously fairly questionable. But at the same time, I kind of respect their approach to things in terms of, I was watching an interview, I think it was with their owner, um, and he basically said when you were in the conference last year when they when they got promoted, they were trying to sign championship quality players, certainly League One, if not low championship, because it then means that they can go up another division and know that they're ready to compete and then as they're that so as they are now, it wouldn't surprise me now that they're a real attractive proposition and come January there'll be two or three big shock moves that'll go in there because they know that they've got a good chance of another promotion and so on. And they're kinda of like forward thinking kind of like three to four transfer windows ahead, whereas clubs like ourselves are kind of going from, you know, date pack to date pack in terms of money and literally depending on how many people come through the date, say, for instance, on Boxing Day to see who we're going to sign come January. So it's it's um, a very different way to run the club, but obviously it requires that initial kind of capital investment, doesn't it, to be able to, to do it. But at our level, I think that is more sustainable. Obviously, the Premier League, you can't be kind of working three and four transfer windows ahead of yourself because the money involved is is ridiculous. But yeah, in short, I think we're, we're doing all right. Um, obviously, Luke Norris, um, he looks to be out for the foreseeable, but he has been, when he's played, he's just unplayable. I mean, I, I think we've done very, very well to have got him. I think we only actually managed to sign him re- realistically because he was injured. Um, and obviously, the, you know, his injuries have kind of kept him, kept him on the sideline a lot more than we'd like this season. But I think, yeah, if we can get a centre forward through the through the door um, and a couple of more creative centre mids, I think that's where we're lacking. Just a quick question about Lee too. Uh, what, what's been the uh, the take of Wrexham? Obviously, the Hollywood story. How have they been getting on? Have they? Uh, I know the third, but how too how well. are they perceived with other far teams? Too well. Everyone, yeah. I mean, far too well. I mean, it's it's meant to be a festive yeah. atmosphere this evening, but I could really go downhill quite quickly talking about that lot down the road. It's just 
like I get if they come into your team and it's you know it's a different ball game, isn't it? If as we said before, if you're in something. It's great, and I think for the town and the, for for the whatever. But I think even now, for some of the diehard Wrexham fans, they're starting to see that their club isn't their club anymore. That it is just being used as this like billboard for whatever their vanity project is. And we kind of called that as soon as it started to happen. But I think they're now, you know, yeah, it's great. We've got our Netflix documentaries or whatever, Amazon Prime, whatever it is. Um, and there's books, and there's you know gin companies and the sponsor by all of these big companies and whatnot and you can't you know you can barely see the Wrexham badge on the shirt now for the number of sponsors and you know what if that if the Wrexham fans are happy with that and that's the way that they want the club to go then fair play to them because I think that they will only get to us yes they've got mega money but I don't think they've got football mega money they will get to be a top end league one possibly push and get into the championship for a few years and then they'll they'll get a bit fed up pumping the money in, and they'll slowly start to dwindle away. Do back you think? The um, do you think I, they'll I hit a ceiling a little bit like how Salford sort um, of hit a ceiling in terms of they had, they've got they've got their own aspirations. We know that Gary Neville and um, the the class of ninety two got their own dreams of where they, they think they can take Salford, but what what's realistic and what isn't? I wonder if that's going to hit Wrexham as well. Do you think? Absolutely, I I genuinely think. I mean, chances are, will they go up this season? More than likely, um, it would be a massive underachievement for them to not go up in terms of just from a financial um, perspective. But I think that that glass ceiling for them, being totally honest, is probably high end League One. Um, even with the the stadium plans and whatnot, if you look at the attendances that they're going to be getting, say fifteen to sixteen thousand a week, obviously that's not where the main income is coming from, and I think that's questionable in terms of you know the sponsor and the club with some of their own companies and this that and the other but I do think when you start getting to kind of like league one level the likes of your Paul Mullins and stuff whose heads have been turned away from league one to go down to obviously conference and so on and he's done really well but his head was only turned from a financial perspective you're going to struggle to start to attract players who are going to make that considerable difference, if that makes sense. I think it, to a similar extent, I think Stockport will probably find the, the same thing once they go to League One. Yeah, you know, there's there's money there and they're a successful team and they're on a, they're on a good roll, but that only takes you so far in terms of player recruitment. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, and that's that's not me from a bitter side. I just, I just don't think they've got that. They've got the pull factor in terms of if you've got a few real vain individuals who want to get the name out there and gain a few hundred thousand followers on social media, and you will get players who want to do that and just kind of tick things off in terms of I was part of that and I get it. But I do think the higher up they go, they're going to become that small fish in a very big pond. I think we've seen just like of Forest Green and obviously Rushton Diamonds before, way before, that is those vanity projects do have a ceiling. Um and it is incredibly difficult, but I was going to think conversely that do you not think with the global outreach now of, of Wrexham, and it is a shame for proper Wrexham fans that I'm hearing stories that proper Wrexham supporters can't get taken for the game anymore because tourist fans are going in from everywhere, there and everywhere. Do you not think there's a potential to expand the stadium more and then with a bigger stadium comes bigger match day revenue, corporate, all that sort of stuff, and then eventually they build up facilities on the pitch to become that club that can get up into the championship and beyond. Do just playing devil's advocate on that one really, is there a way that they can rather than just being all about documentaries and Hollywood and glamour and billboards, is there a way that they can grow the club sort of in a way that 
again, I use like of Brighton and Brentford as models of, of the way that the club's been, 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 you know, money's been spent, but not ludicrous. Is there a way they can grow as, or, you know, as organically as possible, these two guys in charge, Wrexham? Or is it a case of it will just hit a ceiling on the pitch and they won't be able to do anything off the pitch to, to sort of grow the club further? I think that would be the obviously the ideal scenario for, for Wrexham fans. Maybe not so much for us up the road, but that would be what they would want to have happen. And as you say, to kind of use their um, image and, and kind of... Um, background if you like the pull factor of having those as your owners to be able to do something like that but I I just don't think I think they want things to happen very quickly and I think the kind of turnaround from uh, conference to league one uh, to sorry to league two and then obviously that immediate push for promotion again I don't I think if they were trying to go down that route I think things would have been done in a much more sustainable manner as opposed to kind of they just seem to have gone in and thrown cash about and it's kind of like a you know, a rich man's toy, if you like, at the minute. So I think as and when they get to League One, I think if they then start to try and stabilise there for a year or two, I think that would kind of be more of the route that they're going down. But from what it looks like in terms of that, you know, everything's kind of a quick fix and we're going to, you know, throw a nice new half fancy stand, which, by the way, they've not paid for. Um that's come through Welsh government funding, which has all come out. You know, there's all these kind of, they're going on about all these fantastic things that they've done. The majority of the money that's been pumped into the club is actually a business loan that's been taken out from them directly. So the club actually still owe them the money. So if they walk away or anything happens, the club are in debt to the owners, which isn't kind of the way that they portray in the documentary. Um, you know, they've, they've managed to regain or to buy back their ground, but actually that was owned by the university and the university didn't want it and they got it back for penny, you know, so it's all of these kind of things that, oh great, they've come in and we've got all this money and we've got our ground back and we're building this new stand, but actually that's not coming from the owners. That I think that is purely just that thing of their name, isn't it? Um, so yeah, I think I think we'll kind of know what kind of route they're going down or certainly wanting to go down in the next sort of 12 to 18 months as to whether things slow a little bit and they kind of, you know, take breath or whether they just keep trying to buy the buy the lead um because as i say even if they're worth let's say 500 million each or you know whatever they're worth probably not worth that are they um it turns to big money even at kind of like league one level for you to kind of guarantee promotion you're talking multi multi millions of pounds um and that's that's where there's the big step up i think conference and league two can be quite similar and you can hit lucky with certain signings and and whatnot because that the squad that they've come up with from the conference is pretty identical to what they've got now, um, and to be fair, I haven't watched a lot of conference football as well. The standard of football in League Two is very similar to the top end of the conference, so they're kind of beaten teams and similar styles of play. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not great to watch from an outsider's perspective. <laughs> uh, we, we'll we'll tap a little bit into Rochdale and then we'll we'll get cracking with other topics. Um, so <clears throat> there was a potential takeover at Rochdale that sort of fell through, essentially, a couple of weeks ago. I may have um, dropped a few messages in the uh, in the chat. So we had this potential takeover and it was the Rochdale fans that did the due diligence to find out that allegedly um, they were Rongans, this company, and the club, through one way or another, 
uh, put a statement out sort of blaming the fans for the takeover falling through, um, which the fans can't quite wrap their head around because of if the fans wouldn't have done the due diligence, it could have ended up, we could have had another Bury situation almost. So <clears throat> some of the Dale fans are slightly confused because if we if, if it, it really should be the club, or the people, the custodians of the club inside the club, not not the you know not the the, the um, not like myself trying to find these things out on Google, but it should be the club that are doing the due diligence in terms of trying to figure out if any of these people are kosher or not. So that was a weird sort of turn of events because it was rumoured like we were hearing all kinds of different rumours like oh it's gone through oh it's gonna be gonna it's gonna be the paperwork's gone through and all this lot and all of a sudden it just went flat like um. And loads of Dale fans found out loads of information about these people. Well, I'm not going to tell you who they are or anything like that because that's it is what it is. It's out there. But I was thinking, just a what a weird like sort of turn of events we've had recently as a club. But um, on the field, we were actually doing okay. I think we're eighth or ninth. So um, it, it's it, the playoffs is within touching distance. Which um, if you've asked me that pre-season, and you know, wouldn't believe you really. Um, I think the only problem is we've probably got a quite thin squad. So I think we're pretty much relying on the same 14 players or something like that. And if it, it could be, if it's working for you guys, well, it was at one style, point, you had a decent um, back-to-back wins at one point, didn't you? Um, but yeah, we could do a good diet somewhere. But yeah, we're relying on the same 14 players. So it's sort of like, you know, everyone knows what the, the um, Christmas fixtures are like. The December, January fixtures are a bit mental, aren't they? So all it's going to take is a few, a few players to get injured, and we could drop down a bit. But even if we get mid-table, I'm not too bothered really, long as we, long as we stay in the division. Um, but yeah, it was a weird one. The, the the takeover story. I thought it was a bit of a. Um, there are all kinds of different sort of mixed messages on the message boards, and the, all this kind of you don't know what to believe, and it's sort of. Should, should it really come down to the fans to do the due diligence? I'm not too sure. I don't know what your your take is on that. If your club deck, say, Tramway is getting, like, a, there's a rumour going around that you might get took over and then your, the fans find out that it's the load of cowboys, it's not really up for your, it's not, it shouldn't be, be, be down to you, should it really, deck? I don't think. No, and I, th- I think this, I mean, it's been spoken about an awful lot, hasn't it, in terms of how the EFL have failed clubs. I mean, Berry being a prime example. And it would have been interesting, and obviously not within the English Football League, but still under like the jurisdiction of the FA, it would have been interesting to see how far along the line that takeover would have got mm. to without you know, that having been picked up, if it would have been picked up. Um, but the, yeah, I think it just calls that there has to be kind of stricter measures in place because the number of times that this is happening now and it seems to be that kind of like you know sort of where Rotsdale are now are in a very similar position as to when Berry were taken over and so on like that kind of small I'd almost go as far as to say northern kind of league two conference side and people are just wanting to come in and basically strip assets um I think that's where our fans, not obviously to go back to, to Rochdale in a second, but where our fans are called, you know, Palios out, we need, you know, a new new direction, new owner, new whatever. People have got to be very, very careful as to what they wish for because there are a lot of wrong people um, about. And it, I think to acquire a football yeah. club at the minute seems to be a little bit too easy. Um, you know, it, it's that kind of desperation, isn't it, to just get 
cash flow and, and to get money into teams that need money behind them because that's the way that the game's going. But there's got to be kind of stricter measures, hasn't there? And you know, you'll you'll back that yourself now in terms of that kind of close call. Um and hopefully in a weird way it'll kind of bring your fan base a little bit closer together. Um obviously the the relegation and stuff will have done that anyway. Um but that real togetherness now to make sure that as your club goes forward, which it will, it does it in, in yeah. kind of the right way with the it's, right team um, um, behind. Sorry, go on, Jim. Yeah, no, um, I want to know what the National League's involvement is in this. I know, obviously, I appreciate it's more probably on, down to the auspices of the FA, but we've seen with, like, Dover and Scunthorpe in the National League alone the last couple of seasons. Obviously, Scunthorpe are having problems in League 2. Um, you know, the National League has to administer three divisions, obviously the National League and then, obviously, the North and South below it. But what's their, I, I don't expect anyone to answer, but what's their involvement in terms of the clubs? We've seen the Premier League fit and proper persons and the way they've let down clubs like Portsmouth, um, particularly in, the, in in years gone by and the issues over the whole not letting Saudi Arabia buy Newcastle and then allowing them to buy Newcastle. The EFL are notorious for how many dodgy owners we Barry. We've seen it at Charlton, Blackpool, so many clubs, Oldham, you know, so, so many clubs. Again, Portsmouth seem to be you know, until recently notoriously in bad ownership. I just want to know what the National League themselves, if anything, are doing to protect the clubs in their division because it, it is almost becoming a bit of a, and this is a bit of a harsh terminology, but I read it in an article some years ago. The National League's becoming like a graveyard for the poorly run League 2 or League 1 clubs that are so badly run that they end up dropping into the division. It seems to be, obviously, you're Oldham are down there now. We've seen Torquay dropping the National League South again. We've seen, obviously, the likes of Darlington and Chester after start again lower down because of horrendous ownership. I, I just want to know what that league's doing to protect these clubs and, and vet these owners and if they have any involvement at all to say, well, this isn't right. There. Because, yeah, it shouldn't be down to supporters. They should be, really, of all the people you think that should be involved in the takeover of a football club, even at fifth division level, the supporters should be the last ones to really be the be the ones to find out that these owners are dodgy. They should be the last group of people to discover that. It should be down to the club, the league, the FA. There's so many different people involved in the move, in the transaction. I think it's actually piss poor from all those authorities that it's come down to, if it is true, as you've said. Pardon me that a supporter or supporters have found out information about these potential owners that's, that's uncovered them to be, you know, less than reputable. And I think that's... What, look at all the governing bodies that are not safeguarding that club. You know, the FA, the league, the board of that club. You know, if it's come down to supporters or supporters trust, who are the only ones that seem to have the club's interest at heart, then that's, that's more than a bit concerning. And it makes you wonder what's going on with not just Rochdale, but you've got 23 other National League clubs, you've got 48 clubs in the, in the National League North and South. What's what's happening? What Where's the accountability from the National League themselves and from the FA? No, it's, it's a valid question, Jim, because if you look at it in terms of there's, there's different ends of the spectrum, isn't there? Because you've got the Wrexham Hollywood story, haven't you, where they've non-league and they've gone back into the EFL. But then you've got like Scunthorpe and you look at that... Um, uh, avenue that it's took and it's, it's you know I've got a lot of time for Scunthorpe been a few times away days decent you know don't mind him as a club 
But like you say, the, 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 there seems to be a lot of them that are just staying down there in terms of the lower divisions, non-league, what have you. But what is what is the interest of the um, the, the non-league sort of higher ups? Are they do they want these teams to stay in this division, or do they, you know, because they, they wouldn't have had talking like fifteen years ago, you wouldn't have had Oldham and Rochdale in there, and um, who else is in there? You got like Chesterfield. You wouldn't have had these type of. I'm not saying the big teams, the historical League Four teams. That's what I'm trying to say. But I wonder what their not protocol, but. Do they? Does the National League like it that these teams are in this division because they're a bit of a name? Do you know what I mean? Obviously, they loved it that Wrexham were in there and they were in the Hollywood store and they must have. Do you know what I mean? They must have really enjoyed that. But look at Scunthorpe, like you say, um, South End were in a bit of trouble, weren't they? Recent last last two three years and things like that. You're on about Darlington, one of our mates, Chris Jackson, is Darlow fan. But like just even at a glance, just writing these names down, really, that you can tell. There can't be enough going on to, to safeguard these sort of clubs, something happening to them, or obviously we had the Bury situation that was in the EFL. But there can't be, there's not enough red tape, is there really? It sounds like, but um, I don't know what it's, I don't know what it, I don't know how you change that. Um, is it is it the, is it the FA? I don't know who it is really. I don't know who can get, you know, I don't know. I don't think the FA are that great, are they really, in terms of anything like that in themselves really, but yeah, it's a shame that it comes no, down to I, the I fans. Don't think they really know. No, but um, yeah, it yeah, is a shame. I just thought, yeah, it's um, yeah. I I think I, I think you've you've brought up a club in South End. Sorry, that I forgot to mention, but Ron Martin at South End is an yeah. absolute disgrace. Um, generally, that that team should be fighting for the South End of the division and, and would be had it not been for an eight point deduction because of his absolutely abhorrent ownership of that football club, proud football club in the third and fourth tiers. They were even in the, comp- the the championship. Sorry, growing up, um, fantastic club down there. Again, as there are so many, you know, seen it again. I'll I'll mention it for another, another time. Russian diamonds. Okay, they were vanity project, but they were left to die um, and reform. And it it is almost like the league is just there to facilitate whatever kind of goes on. You play your games. Dover were royally shafted. Um, Point deductions and, and, and all kinds of things. Their story was horrendous a few years ago, and they're just recovering now in the conference. So it, it does make me wonder um, whether, as well, and this is going to sound maybe somewhat controversial, maybe somewhat harsh. Um, I'm not saying I necessarily want this to be the case or this should revert back to this, but obviously, you were talking about 15, 20 years ago. I think the big thing is the professionalization of the National League. Now, it used to be that you went down. And you would either go part time, or you would be one of the few full time clubs in a part time division. Now the National League, and there are some National League North and South clubs. I think Scunthorpe might still even be full time. Um, possibly Torquay and Yeovil, another big name down on the sixth tier, might still be full time. But a lot of National League clubs, I think Dorking, Wellston, I, I could be wrong on that one. Those two, and possibly another aside, possibly Oxford City. Aside, the majority of clubs in the National League are fifth year are, are professional now. What other? I mean, in a way, I'm saying the celebration. What other country in the world has five fully professional national divisions? It's brilliant that we do in our pyramid, and I'm very proud of our pyramid. I don't necessarily rate the Premier League as the best league in the world, but I rate our pyramid as the best in the world. But is it sustainable? Is my? And I don't like to say that, but is it sustainable to have? over 100 professional clubs 
had that many professional players on full-time contracts on footballers' wages, it cannot be sustained. Can these clubs afford to pay in players a grand, two grand a week in the fifth tier? It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money when you're playing fifth division football. Yeah. And it's, I, I, I want it to be. I want it to be fully professional. I want it to be brilliant. If you know, I want as many professional players as possible. Turn around and go right. We'll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as you say, it's the sustainability of it, and I think the way football's gone now, everything is so open, and you know, social media, online, etc., access to accounts, and so on, that it's not kind of word of mouth or just through the newspapers now that you kind of hear of all of the, you know, the poor kind of ownership stories that are floating around. Um, and again, it's easy to say when you're not in that. And I think, you know, all, all three of our clubs have definitely been through that in the past and at the moment, um, that it's, uh, it you know, it, it's easy to kind of just go, oh, well, you know, that's all right and, and this, that and the other. But I think that's always been the case. There's always been poorly run clubs and clubs, as you say, the likes of uh, Russian Diamonds, etc., have gone under without anyone really batting an eyelid to it because we've not had kind of the access to, to kind of the runnings of a football club as we've got now. And as you say, you know, the number of professional teams over 100 in a country that, you know, realistically, we're not a huge country when it comes to, you know, geography. You know, we're not we're not a massive place. Um, and as you say, that the number of professional clubs, but then you look at it on the other hand, that then if they go, right, we're going to go downtown to this elite thing of we'll have a first, second and third division and then everyone else goes, then you're going to end up, you're, you're kind of strapping over that money again, aren't you? So there's always going to be well-run clubs and there's always going to be clubs that are ducking and diving and, you know, a bit of wheeling and dealing to try and get by. There's always going to be, you know, pantomime villains and, and whatnot as well in it. Um, and I think, as going back to Greg's original point, I think it's just about us as fans trying to basically safeguard our clubs in in as you know, ones for a better word, to the best of our ability. Which is easier said than done, isn't it? But you know, Absolutely. hats off to the Rochdale fans who seem to have managed to have done that. Um, it's I think a message we can all kind of adhere to <laughs> is get out and watch your local. And I haven't been able to do this for a while, Dak. You know, I've not been able to come Rovers for a while, and obviously. I go and watch other non-league clubs where I can, but go out and watch your local football league, non-league club. Obviously, if you support the club, go support them as well. I'm not saying to stop that, but go and support local football. Go and support grassroots football. It needs all the support it can get, um, and, all, and always will, because the lower you go down the pyramid, the more these clubs will need your support. So that's all we can say. And again, I think we're preaching to the choir with a lot of our listeners, because we have supporters that listen that follow up and down the pyramid um, most people who listen to us will have that same mentality I believe that will not just think football's a TV show or a glamour show or you know all about transfers and VAR and, and all that sort of stuff you know it is a, a, a real smell of the grass mud and boots type adventure really when you go to a game on a Saturday or Sunday or whenever uh, get out and support your local teams uh, they will thank you for your support and it will be it will mean the world for them to put a little bit of money back in their coffers. Is Gary Jones still the manager of Asheville? Yes. Nope. Next question. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, he is. Yeah, Esdale, yeah. Bradford, yeah. and all that. Yeah, he's currently still the manager of Asheville. Yeah, um, doing a decent job. Uh, they've had a few games postponed, a few home games because the pitch isn't quite cope with weather conditions. But they've been the recent about the FA Vars and away at South Liverpool, who are. South Liverpool are the level above in the North West Counties Premier. 
So 300 right. feet over the walls of Jericho Lane's not a real shame for a club mm. playing a Matan Fatia. Um, but went to see them not long ago against Glass Out and Welfare in the first round of the FA Vars. We won on penalties, cracking game, 3-3. Three, three. Yeah. Fiver to get in. Fucking amazing, to be fair. One of the best you games I've seen it, in a long you? time. It's amazing. Yeah, you can't knock it. Just a quick thank you to anybody who's contributed to It's Only a Game podcast this year, 2023. If that's anybody, um, a listener, anyone who's downloaded the episodes, anybody who's uh, come on as a guest in this year, anybody um, from various podcasts or friends of the pod. We'd also like to thank people that have contributed with the voice notes that have emailed over. Um, we're going to go to a few of those voice notes now from various fans of other clubs. And the the theme is your favourite um, December or festive game as, as a, a fan of your club or a favourite gift that's football related at Christmas. Uh, okay, thank you very much for contributing for, for those guys as well. And Merry Christmas one and all. And we'll see you in 2024. Thank you. Hi lads, hope you're all well. My favourite football presence at Christmas was uh, when I was 13. I got FIFA 2003, which is the one I think with Ryan Giggs, Edgar Davids and Roberto Carlos on the front of the game. And I also got the Manchester United blue away kit that I thought was really nice and I, every time every time I went to play football after that for quite a while I would always stick that top on whenever I could and uh, I actually still have that top now and it's one of my favourite it probably is my favourite uh, t-shirt that I have from Manchester United kits um, so yeah it's, it brings back fond memories cheers have a good one Hello lads, this is Glyn from the Obstructed View podcast. The Obstructed View podcast is myself, Glyn Parry, and I am an Everton season ticket holder. And my co-podcaster is Ben Griffin, a Sheffield Wednesday season ticket holder. So we were recording tonight and we decided to have a discussion about our Xmas memories and gifts, etc. So Ben um, went first and he um, he had a little chat about his Sheffield Wednesday memories and the, the first thing Ben wanted to point out was that Sheffield Wednesday have had no Boxing Day games since 2015 um, he said the ultimate Sheffield Wednesday Xmas Day games is known as the Boxing Day Massacre versus Sheffield United a recent high for Ben was the Newcastle away game in 2017 when Newcastle were in the championship Wednesday won 1-0 at St James's Park Glenn Leuven scored the winning goal for Sheffield Wednesday um, Ben is 33 years old, so not in his time, but the ultimate Sheffield Wednesday uh, Christmas fixture is the Boxing Day Steel City Derby, where Wednesday beat United 4-0 on Boxing Day in 1979. So people like his dad and friends will speak a lot about that day and, and Wednesday sing a song to this day. Hark now hear the Wednesday sing United ran away. So that goes back all the way to 1979. You probably had at Hillsborough if you went this weekend. Um, my memory is also actually Newcastle away, which is a bit strange actually. And it's also a one 0 win as well. Um, Everton have won some decent Boxing Day fixtures recently. Actually, uh, we beat Burnley quite recently, five one at Turf Moor on Boxing Day, 
I think I remember Theo Walcott getting a couple of goals for Everton. Um, so that was kind of the, uh, I think it might be the Allardyce era, I'm not too sure if he was the manager at the time, but yeah, that was a good victory, but I didn't actually go to that game. And the one that sticks in my mind is when we went to Newcastle in 2015 and we also won 1-0 Everton. Um, and Tom cleverly scored the winner towards the end of the game. It might have been the last five minutes. And that Everton didn't really have any kind of sort of songs or anything for Tom cleverly, but I can just remember walking back down those stairs at St. James's Park, all 37 floors of stairs or whatever it is, singing Tom, Tom cleverly, Tom, Tom cleverly, Tom, Tom cleverly. And um, it was brilliant. And yeah, great win up at St. James's Park. And I just remember the bus getting bricked on the way out because they really were not happy about that shift. Uh, Newcastle United fans. Um, so yeah, I also asked Ben if he has any uh, memorable Christmas gifts. Um, and he just said really that he gets something every year pretty much. He doesn't have anything really memorable. He says he usually gets something like a training top because if he's had a shirt or he liked a shirt, he's normally got it by then. Um, also, he just said it's an easy gift idea. If you know somebody with a football obsession, you're going to buy them something that they're always going to like it, aren't they? He said uh, he occasionally gets vouchers as well. And for me, I can just remember getting this god-awful Everton bedspread when I was young. And I don't know, I don't think it was from the official shop or anything like that, but it just looked like a football net. It just had EFC in odd random places and it was made of this god-awful material. Um, I hated the bloody thing, even though it was Everton, it were awful. Um, yeah, but I've had loads of shirts and sometimes getting old shirts and things when I were a bit older. And Yeah, some, some great uh, gifts. I think last year I got a like a beer tray, which we just had the Everton badge stuck on it. And me and Ben were saying that if, if it was <laughs> if it was in a normal shop, it would have been a fiver, because it had the Everton badge on, it would have been 20 quid. So, yeah, we hope our uh, Christmas memories add a little bit to your podcast. Uh, thanks for having us, lads. Hello, this is Robert from the Black and Rose podcast, Kidder Street Noise. Now, I've been asked by Greg to record a snippet on... The Christmas special for the Christmas special episode about the favorite Christmas period game or the favorite football related Christmas present. Now, as a Blackton Rovers fan, I don't really have a favorite Christmas period game. Our record on Boxing Day is absolutely abysmal, and all the games in between and New Year's Day, there's not really many happy memories I can think of or that sort of Christmas period football wise. Christmas presents, though, is a different story. Now, growing up, I grew up late 90s, early 90s. I think everyone remember these. Every year, there was a football blooper DVD. I think the first one I ever got was like on video. I got a Nick Hancock's football bloopers. Uh, I used to watch it all the time. It was sort of like a montage of open goal misses, keepers throwing the ball in the back of our net, bad tackles... And they'd be like some ex-pro or comedian or TV presenter that would jump in and make some funny comments about it. Now, when we got into like the DVD era, if you could call it that, um, we started getting more and more of these photo bloopers. There was a Paddy McGuinness one that was absolutely shocking. Um, Bradley Walsh did one. Um, who else did one? David Siemens, goalkeeper nightwear is one of my favourite ones. Ian Wright. I think Robbie Savage did one just after he left Rose 
Um, but I never got that one. That was probably past the time I started buying DVDs for Christmas and stuff. So I used to get one of these every Christmas. And after the Christmas festivities, we would come back home and I would watch one of these DVDs on my PlayStation 2 or DVD player. And Christmas Day night would be me watching these Howler blooper DVDs ready in preparation for the Boxing Day game where the Black and Rose team that was playing would probably have a howler or do some bloopers because, like I said before, we were awful on Christmas Day. So yeah, my football Christmas present was always a blooper slash howler DVD, depending on which B-list celebrity had released one that year. Merry Christmas for everyone at Kidder Street Eyes. And Merry Christmas to the lads at It's Only A Game podcast. Hi, I'm Rory Bryce. I'm the host of the Forgotten Football Clubs podcast. Um, I'm a Celtic supporter, as many of our listeners all know, and, and if you could tell by <laughs> what we post on Twitter quite frequently. So trying to narrow down a, a Christmas time game was, was quite difficult for myself. So I've went with a football-related Christmas present instead. Now, this was when I'd maybe just turned 13 or 14, I think. My mum gave me this book, which was called Celtic and Ireland in Song and Story. Obviously, Celtic has a, a big connection with Ireland. The person who founded them was Irish. It was founded to provide for poor Irish migrants in the east end of Glasgow. So there's a, a huge heritage and, and history and connection there. And this book basically goes through all of the different songs that Celtic fans have sung throughout the years, what they all mean, where they all come from, the historical context behind it. Really, really incredible book. But it wasn't until further down the line that I realised that it actually it was actually my grandfather's who was from Ireland. And when he passed away, he'd given it to my mum and my mum had kept a hold of it for me until she felt I was old enough to, to have it and, and read it and stuff. So that's, that's my favourite football-themed Christmas present. There's loads of others that I could have picked from, but just for the kind of sentimentality of it and the the sense of continuing the story, I suppose, if you want to put it that way, then that's definitely my favourite. Hi, everyone. Uh, Stig Strand here, Rochdale FC supporter. Just thinking back to some happy recent times um, in what was a, a turbulent season, uh, ending in relegation. However, I still think back to the Wigan Athletic away game. Um, I think the season was, was, was 20... 20 to 2021 um when i look at the team on paper and i think back to sort of you know the the, the players that we had um my oh my um humphreys and lund up front um ryan and morley in the middle bar on the left hand side of the pitch i think it was the game actually where bar um really put himself out there to the football world and probably the goals which engineered his move um out of um, League One and you know in, in, into the higher sort of echelons of, of, of footballing, um, but yeah, what a game that was! So first things first, I always remember looking at, at Bar thinking he was a bit raw, but he had pace to burn that day, and he terrorised the left hand side of the Wigan defence uh, all game um, with his first goal being absolutely breakthrough where he sort of burst through the middle. Everyone's thinking that you know he, he was going to pass, and then he, he just unleashed this ridiculous shot into the top corner, um, probably like with goal the goal the season contender for him, um, and he was playing up front with Humphreys as well. And Humphreys had one of those games where um, 
he was just a class above everyone else on the pitch. He actually had a free kick at one point in the season as well um, during this game where he, he literally stepped back and the, the ball was probably um, halfway line-ish, um, maybe like 10 yards or so in, in, in front of the halfway line, um, where he stepped back. I was looking at my son thinking, what's he going to do here? He's only going to take a shot, isn't he? But Maya made a technique that he had to hit the ball into the top bins um, to, to give us, you know, a, a, another goal that day was was just phenomenal. Final score was was actually 5-0, um, which gave us a lot of hope that potentially, you know, this, this team could survive the season. But unfortunately, um, I think we went on to, to lose the next two games after that. And then, you know, the season culminated in a relegation. Um, but yeah, no, one of the happier times recently, when I look back on paper, you know, McNulty was actually in defence in that game as well. But we had Jack O'Connell, um, who, as everyone knows now, has unfortunately had to retire at an earlier age. But what a player he was um, in defence as well. Yep, yeah, so that's my thoughts on uh, a recent game that Rochdale played in recent times, in happier times. Let's hope for more of those soon. Hey, I'm Dan from the Turf Morehouse TV podcast. And I'm a massive, massive Burnley supporter. Uh, so it's quite hard to pick a Burnley result as one of your favourites over the festive period because that seems to be when we slump. However, this season we seem to just slump since the start. Um, that said, and I'm going to have to go for it was a Boxing Day fixture away at Old Trafford in 2017. And uh, we drew 2-2 with Manchester United. Uh, and I think we should have won the game, personally. I think we scored after three minutes through Ashley Barnes and then De- Stephen Defoe put us 2-0 up. And at that point, I just remember being absolutely ecstatic, buzzing my little nipples off. And Jesse Lingard stung us with an equaliser uh, in the dying minutes of the first half. And funnily enough, Jesse Lingard scored again in the 90-plus first and absolutely tore the hearts of every single Burnley fan. Uh, but it's a rememberable one. Like I say, uh, I think Jose Mourinho was the manager of Manchester United at the time. They had Romelu Lukaku up top with Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Uh, they, it was quite quite a different period uh, for Burnley back then as well. I, I think that there was an interview after that game that Mourinho said it wouldn't surprise me if Burnley achieved European spot, um, which you know Sean Dash did for us in the end. Uh, but that's one of my most memorable games, I think, just because uh, it was a memory of watching that with my dad, uh, who's now no longer here, who I lost this year. Um, so it also adds a bit of an element to it. Uh, Favourite Christmas gift, football-related Christmas gift? Um, recently, I'd probably have to say, as I've got older, um, I did enjoy the fact that my missus went out and bought one of those like mystery shirt kits. Uh, where you can obviously receive a mystery shirt. That was always quite nice because, like Forrest Gump would say, you don't know what you're going to get. But other than that, uh, my earliest memory probably would be the first FIFA that had the EFL introduced to it, as Burnley was an EFL club back then. Uh, So seeing the players in there, like Demetrius Papadopoulos, Graham Branch, um, you know, just just, it was just just weird to see these players that I've looked up to as a kid and gone, oh, I've seen them, I've shook hands with them, I've got their autograph um, back when I was that young. So, yeah, that's probably one of my earliest memories. But, yeah, it's it's really hard to pick for a Burnley supporter. Anyway, thank you for uh, asking me to do this and um, Merry Christmas to you all. Hope you all have a good one. Ciao. 
Hello, it's only a game podcast. I hope you lads are doing well and are getting all prepped for Christmas time with your family. Greg, I hope the little one has a amazing first Christmas. Um, it's always very, very special. Um, so, my favourite ever Christmas-related present. Whew, it's a tough one, but I think I'm going to have to go with my first ever Albion shirt from my dad. So, I was quite late to the party in terms of um, liking football or following a team, etc. But my first ever season supporting the Albion was our season that we got promoted uh, from League One to the Championship um, under Gus Poyet um, and our last ever season at the Withdean Stadium as well. Um, And I remember seeing his face when I asked him if he could buy me an Albion shirt um, for Christmas. as you can imagine, uh, as a dad who's been trying to get his son into football so, 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 but so badly, uh, when he finally asks if he can have an Albion shirt and start supporting the lads, um, he was very happy to oblige, um, and that shirt did not leave my back. So, yeah, it's got to be that one. Um, but, yeah, hope you guys all have a, an amazing Christmas um, and a very happy New Year. Um, big up the pod. Love it. Um, and, yeah, take care, guys. See you later. Hi, Tom Lyons here from the Warsaw podcast, One Pod Beyond. Uh, football Christmas memories, a couple of my favourites. Uh, firstly, in uh, 2011, Boxing Day, um, Warsaw going through a pretty bad run in League One. Sheffield Wednesday, flying high, uh, second in the table at the time. Uh, 1-0 down, Warsaw uh, came back to win 2-1 in injury time with two goals after the 90th minute. Uh, Q, absolute pandemonium, um, fantastic result. Uh, secondly, a slightly different Christmas memory, uh, Barnsley, uh, 18th of December 1999. Uh, the coldest I've ever been at a football match. Uh, Oakwell, absolutely freezing. Um, and I had to have uh, pie and chips to warm me up at half time. And it was so cold, I immediately had another one. Um, never done it before, never done it since. That's how cold it was. So, as for a favourite December game or period, I don't really particularly remember any, really, to be honest. Um, I think a period, I just seem to remember thinking I'm actually really enjoying the football in general, was probably back in 2009, I think. <clears throat> I think we'd come off the back of, obviously, the 2008 season uh, with United winning, obviously, the league and the Champions League. And I think I remember the December period thinking, just like, oh, we're on a, you know, just unstoppable at the moment. I think we went into the Club World Cup um, somewhere around that period as well. And just, we were just excellent. And I just thinking, just like, this team's like never going to get beaten. And it was just one of the best things ever. And it was obviously a time when I think, I look back now and think football was a bit more romanticised and stuff compared to what it is now. I think obviously a bit of a wise ahead and obviously things have obviously changed now. Um, Obviously not as good as we used to be. (laughs) But yeah, I think that was a December period. I think that's probably my favourite time that I remember off the top of my head. As for a football-related Christmas present, um, again, I don't particularly remember any kits or anything like that because I always tend to remember my dad would always give me those on my birthday. Um, but I do remember receiving it back in the 90s. It was a football... Um, it was, sorry, a, a football, and it was uh, specifically a mitre football um, from the 90s, but it was a Premier League uh, official one. And I remember 
my being so excited to just get it so I could just like take it out and play with it in the street with me mates. And if I remember correctly as well, uh, it came in like a white box. I don't think my dad had to order it from somewhere because I don't think back then you could order them or just buy them and pick them up off the shop floor or something like you do at Sports Direct now in like a basket. I think you had to specifically order them because um, I remember it just coming in this white box with like this little leaflet inside and it was a proper mitre Premier League ball from the 90s. Um, and I remember just thinking, whoa, like, what a ball. It's so like amazing. It's so like a beautiful ball. <laughs> Um, and then I was just so excited to go out in the streets and just play with my mates with it. Um, obviously, a few months later, it didn't look like it did when it came out of the box. But let's put it that way: all the uh, the paint and everything had been like sort of scuffed off it, and and some of it was falling apart. The amount of times I played with it, but I remember thinking that was amazing. Um, but that was a it was a great ball and <clears throat> a, a great present. That I was quite happy with. Hi, uh, I'm Frank Herbert, and I'm an Evertonian. Talking about my uh, favourite Christmas period game. It was 1977. I was six, 16, 17 years old. Uh, and a month before, on the 26th of November, I'd watched Everton thrash Coventry 6 0. One of my favourite games. Uh, at Goodison, to be honest. So I went with my best friend and my brother to Goodison to watch us play United Boxing Day. 1977. Uh, we were second in the league at the time and playing really well. Uh, and I expected it to be a tough game because United had brought up a, a good young side in Division 2, but I didn't expect what happened. United were unbelievable that day. Uh, and in point of fact, they were 5 0 up before we scored. Uh, we got a goal in the 70th minute, Latsford. Uh, then they got another in the 75th, McElroy. And we finished the scoring with Martin Dobson. It's after 77 minutes. So we lost 6-2. Uh, and the reason why it's so memorable for me is I always used to stand in the, uh, the lower Gladys. And I'm pretty sure that's the only time that I remember the street end clapping an away team off the pitch. Maybe there were other times, but it was the only time I was there. Because we had to, because quite simply, United were awesome that day and they deserved to win. So we had to appreciate good football and it was. Uh, we still had a good season that year, um, but that was my Christmas memory because it was just amazing football. And yes, we lost, uh, but football won. Sports Social Podcast Network.